Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. Are you a victim or a survivor of domestic abuse? And are you also a hoarder? Do you find it hard to let go of things? So whether you are or whether you know someone else who is, this week I'm going to take some time to reflect on my own experiences as a reformed or maybe, truth be told, being someone who's in the process of reforming as a hoarder. And I'm going to share all of this with you this week on Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. So owning up to parts of my own life that leave me feeling vulnerable, it isn't easy, but I do it knowing that this might help you feel maybe more compassionate towards yourself if you have similar struggles to the struggles that I have experienced in my life. So this in a way feels like like it's a bit of a confession about a part of my life that has been a really hard part of my journey. I want you to know that my life is still very much a work in progress and hopefully my willingness to take you on this journey with me and to talk about my experiences with hoarding and what I have learned to do to help me to break that cycle of hoarding, that that will help you. Okay, let's open the door on this week's episode. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. So where did it all begin for me? I am starting by asking this question because there is always a beginning for when a pattern begins to emerge in your life. And it's good to reflect back to that time to see what was going on in your life when this pattern began to emerge. I think it all began when my mental health declined. So my first marriage was what I thought was going to be the relationship that I would be in for the rest of my life. I truly, truly believe that when I said I do until death do us part, that this is the way that it would be. I didn't ever contemplate that at some point, somewhere along the way, that something would happen to cause me to want to leave the marriage. And when I said I do, I felt a huge sense of security that came with having someone by my side that would walk through the ups and downs of life with me. For the first few years, I convinced myself that we had a picture-perfect life, or at least that's what I tried to create. So we lived in a really beautiful home and we had beautiful things. We really had a good life, but my sense of security was strongly linked to dependence. I did not have any financial independence. My husband was very supportive of me trying to build my publicity business, but like many small businesses, I wasn't walking away with any more at the end of each week than if I had been working for an employer. I wasn't um, walking away with any more at the end of each week and I was working 60 plus hours a week, running myself ragged, working with high pressure editorial deadlines. And when I look back, I can see that I was what I describe as being a stress head. For me, high levels of stress became my norm. And I think 
that this is why when my husband was going through some stressful times and was allowing that stress to spill out in the form of angry tirades at all the injustices that he felt he had going on in his life to the point where, you know, these tirades, it was alienating friends and it was alienating family and I found myself walking on eggshells, trying not to do anything to tip him over the edge. And my nervous system just became completely overloaded, living with these high levels of stress. So I continued on this way and I was kind of deluding myself that I could manage these high levels of stress until one day I had my first anxiety attack and I thought that something was physically very wrong with me. I couldn't catch my breath. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought this is it. Any second I'm going to die. So anyone listening to this who has experienced an anxiety attack you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I was terrified. I thought, I don't want to die. You know, I'm not ready to die. I was so scared. By the time the anxiety attacks started, I had my first daughter. I had stopped working in my business because I had the luxury at that time to opt not to work because my husband's income was enough to sustain us in the manner of lifestyle that we had become accustomed to. So we had that level of financial security, but being completely dependent on somebody else for your financial security can cause insecurity in yourself. And that's what was happening to me unbeknownst to me, because I felt that it was quite normal for me to put my trust in my husband to um, continue to be able to provide for us and for our family. So I wanted, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be the best mum in the world for my daughter. But if I'm honest, I had my struggles. I had put myself under so much pressure with the expectations that everything should just come naturally because I had this strong desire to be a good mum and I felt that I should just naturally know how to do that. And that led to me feeling like an absolute failure when I wasn't able to meet those textbook milestones with my baby I really thought that I should have had everything running smoothly everything should have been you know 100% perfect all of the time and when that didn't happen I was incredibly hard on myself I'd given up smoking as soon as I found out that I was pregnant and um If you haven't heard my miracle story before about my first pregnancy with my daughter, I'll share it with you now. So my husband and I had been trying to fall pregnant for about six months. We both really, really wanted to start having a family. And um, every month that I got my period, I was so disappointed and I was also worried that there was something wrong with either me or my husband and that that might have been preventing us from falling pregnant. Again, I put myself under a tremendous amount of pressure, of expectation that this should be the easiest thing in the world. That pressure didn't do anything to help me with the level of intimacy that my husband and I had with each other. And you know, you need intimacy when you're trying to make a baby. That's sort of, you know, something that's quite important. (laughs) So the pressure was not good for that. But the pressure, um, but also, you know, what that did is that, you know, I, I took that really personally. So when, 
my husband, you know, wasn't hot to trot for me. I took that so personally and I took it as my husband not finding me desirable and ouch, it really, really hurt. So it wasn't necessarily true, but that's just the way I felt. Anyway, back to the story about my miracle pregnancy. So my period, it was late and two weeks after my period was due to to our great delight, I got a positive result to my pregnancy test and we were just so ecstatic. So the obstetrician, I went off to the obstetrician. I went to get my pregnancy care underway and my husband and I, were, we were just walking on cloud nine. We were so happy. And this made it easy for me to find the determination that I needed to stop smoking. The two cigarettes a day that I'd been treating myself to while we were trying to fall pregnant. And a week after I got my result back that I was pregnant, I started bleeding really heavily. And I remember feeling so distressed with a knowing that I was miscarrying. When I got to the hospital, the doctor confirmed my suspicions and I had a full D and C. So for the next week after I got home after that procedure, I took myself off to bed and I was just grieving. I was grieving the loss of my baby. And I was just heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken, devastated. And then a call came through a week later and it was was from the obstetrician and he asked me to come back in for another test as the, the results that had come through from my procedure, that there was something unusual about them. So I went back into the hospital, I had an ultrasound and to my surprise, I could see what looked like a little bean and I was told that I had a healthy eight-week gestation in my uterus. It was an absolute roller coaster ride. For that whole week after I thought that I'd lost my baby, I cried out to God and I just cried out to God to, for God to give me my baby back. I was so lucky that the obstetrician had used the old-fashioned scraping technique and rather than the suction technique um, when he did the procedure. As, and in doing it this way, by some miracle, he had m- missed my baby. So there was a tiny tear in the amniotic sac, but my baby had managed to survive that procedure. So um, so that baby, that baby that is such a miracle and such a gift to me and to my husband, that baby is now 26 years old and is a qualified lawyer. I'm so proud of her for the strong, independent woman that she has become. So at the time when I was pregnant with her and I found out, yes, I had my baby, but there was a tear in the amniotic sac, I was just on tenterhooks feeling really frightened that I might still lose my baby. Uh, And On top of that, I experienced morning sickness the whole way through the pregnancy. The only thing that warded off the nausea was eating small amounts often. And my husband and I ate our way through the pregnancy and we both fully bought into it being okay because we're eating for two. And I thought um, that when I had my daughter, that I would return, I'd bounce back, I'd return to my pre-pregnancy weight really easily. But that didn't happen. I was 90 kilograms at the end of the pregnancy and I did not feel good about myself. I didn't feel good about the way that I looked and that did nothing to help my self-esteem. 
And the lack of intimacy between my husband and I didn't help my self-esteem either. So I'm being truly honest with you in this episode about the insecurities that I felt in my life. And I haven't even touched on my chronic pain. Um, And my chronic pain stems from a syndrome that I was born with and how the musculoskeletal abnormalities that I have that are associated with this syndrome, the way that they've affected the way that I see myself. Um, I know that we can all be super hard on ourselves about our physical makeup and to look at me, the majority of people would not even pick up that there's anything physically different about me. But when you're the one who's got those physical differences, they become massive in your mind. They become very prominent and very dominant and they do do a good job of trying to define who you are. So I was really hard on myself and it caused some body dysmorphia for me to um, to me, as I said, you know, my physical abnormalities made me feel ugly and unappealing and also made me feel that this was contributing to my husband's lack of interest in being intimate with me. And this caused my self-esteem to drop and made me question if I was lovable, if I was desirable. So these are things that I needed to heal in myself which I tended to go to the very far end of the spectrum with it, which, you know, going to extremes can help you to find your middle ground, but it can be quite painful. And that's the path that I went down. So here I was, I wanted to be the best mum in the world for my daughter, but I had my struggles. I had put myself under so much pressure with expectations that everything should just come naturally that I felt like an absolute failure when I wasn't able to meet the textbook milestones. I really thought that I should have everything running perfectly 100% of the time. And when that didn't happen, I was incredibly hard on myself. I had given up smoking as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, as I mentioned. And if you, so, so yeah, so I gave up smoking and, um, but that didn't last. So um, I breastfed my daughter for six months. And then when I stopped breastfeeding, I started smoking again. Smoking was my go-to. It was my break away from the stress of being a mum. It was a break away from the stress of living with someone who was also a stress head and prone to snap and lash out at in an angry tirade. It was my band-aid, if you like, to mask the wounds of unhappiness and discontent that I felt inside. <sighs> Big breath. I was really unhappy and filled with feelings of being powerless to change things for the better. So smoking was my meditation. Smoking was my escape. Smoking was my coping mechanism. So the underlying triggers for my feelings of powerlessness and a sense of not being in control of my life stemmed from my experiences and my expectations and the gap between the two that reflected my unhappiness and my discontent. Basically, my life had not measured up to my expectations. I was not the perfect wife. I was not the perfect mother. I was not the perfect woman. In my eyes, I was failing I was failing to make my husband happy. I was failing to make my husband desire me. I was failing to make my baby the perfect textbook baby. I was failing to cope with my chronic pain. I was failing to create my own foundation of security. 
all of these perceptions that I had of myself put me under a tremendous amount of pressure, a tremendous amount of pressure that left me feeling overwhelmed and disempowered. There was a void and I started to fill that void with things. I did go deeper and I started exploring what I could do to start healing myself. So this is the place where I started to gain a real interest in personal development and in holistic healing. I was a mess, basically, and I knew that I needed help on lots of different levels. I needed to find answers to help me with my stress levels that were by this time causing me to have anxiety attacks every single day. I needed to find answers to help me with the unimaginable levels of chronic pain that I was experiencing. I needed to find answers to help me rediscover a sense of purpose and direction. I had completely lost sight of who I was and I needed to do something to try and find myself again. And boy, oh boy, did things get worse and spiral before they started to get better. I knew that I had potential, but I kept feeling like I was falling short of that potential. So I went from letting go of all ambition to make my new ambition being a good wife and a mother. And then that led me to feeling completely inadequate in both those roles and then finding that I had to work out what direction to take next. I was looking for someone to hand me a roadmap to show me which direction to take and what path I needed to follow to get there. I wanted someone to see my natural skills and abilities and tell me how I could channel these things into what was destined to be my life purpose. I wanted someone else to look into a crystal ball and tell me what they saw for my future. I was looking for someone to rescue me from my feelings of being lost and inadequate. So from my feelings of insecurity about myself and what my future held, I started trying to fill that void with stuff. I was trying to feel feelings of being lost, feelings of being uncertain, feelings of emptiness, feelings of not being enough with stuff that would make me feel better about me and better about my life. And I think it started with clothes because the first thing I felt I needed to fix was the way that I looked because that is what people saw. About a year after I had my daughter, I met a personal trainer who became a very close friend. She would find time in her busy day to go walking with me for about 45 minutes. And before long, I started dropping the extra weight that I put on. I started to feel good about the way that I looked and I treated myself to a new wardrobe to show off the new figure I had. And when I wasn't buying clothes for myself, I was buying the latest things for my daughter, whether that was clothes or toys. They don't call it shopping therapy for no good reason. Buying stuff gives us a hit of dopamine. It makes us feel good. And when you have stuff, it gives you a sense of security. Having stuff is okay, but it is when you have enough stuff but you still keep acquiring stuff and not letting go of the stuff that you don't need that getting more stuff can turn into hoarding then when my marriage broke down and I went through a very stressful drawn out financial settlement that seemed to last a lifetime I continued to gain a sense of security from having stuff I had given over all my power in that relationship to my husband when it came to the thing that I needed to help me feel strong and independent, which was financial security. 
I wasn't working and I was a full-time mum and I had no financial security. I was 100% dependent on my husband to provide me with money for myself and for our child. This meant that when I was going through the settlement with my ex-husband, I was coming from a place of fear, which was really well founded at that time that I would not be able to manage when I came out of that financial settlement with rebuilding a strong foundation for myself and for my daughter. I managed to live on my own before meeting my husband. I was very capable of doing that. Um, but I hadn't acquired an asset on my own. So I hadn't reached that level of security on my own. I didn't know how to do that. So I didn't know what, you know, I did know how to manage the basics. I didn't know how to manage income and expenditure. But this was a new playing field that I found myself in where um, I would have a substantial amount of capital and some spousal and child support, but I did not have the know-how to protect that capital or the know-how to reinvest it wisely. And I feared that I would not be able to manage on the spousal support and child support. I was filled with lots of fears and insecurities. And um, that's where my head was at at that time. Now, I know now that what... I had was substantial and it was ample to create a solid financial foundation for the future for myself and for my daughter. But that wasn't um, something that I felt at that time. And I was also scared that I would never find someone who would love me and offer me the security that comes from having someone by your side. I desperately wanted someone to love me and validate my desirability and support me through my chronic pain challenges. I didn't want to go through life alone. So I put my energy into meeting my Prince Charming. But because I was so desperate to find love, I left myself open to my next partner who was a player. I entrusted myself to him believing that I could trust him and my life spiralled further and further down until my worst fears of losing all financial security became a reality. So the house that we bought with my capital was lost because I placed my trust in him making the mortgage payments and before I knew it, the house was being repossessed by the bank and there was nothing that I could do about it. So in that relationship, I acquired stuff that went along with having a family. So it didn't seem really abnormal at the time what I was doing, um, but it was the letting go of things that was the part that brought me unstuck. The thing is that I found it really, really hard to let go of anything. I would hold on to things just in case we needed them. I was really overwhelmed by feelings of insecurity, sensing that my life was out of control and seeing it go further and further into decline. I could sense that I was losing everything and holding on to stuff gave me a sense of having some control over my life and made me feel as though I still had something and or wasn't lost, right? After all, I still had this stuff and to me it all had some value. But as time went by, my stuff became a burden to me. But I had so much going on with trying to avoid one crisis after another with my ex-partner sabotaging his life, my life and the kids' lives that I had no time to address the clutter that had built up around me. The other thing that justified the clutter was that after losing my house to the bank and finally drawing the line in the sand and separating from my ex-partner after the string of lies about his drug addiction that had led us to losing all financial security, I started up a little side hustle. 
where I got super resourceful and bought and sold vintage, antique and secondhand items. This gave the kids and I a few extra dollars so that, um, you know, it went toward helping us with what we needed to survive at that time. And it gave me the permission that I felt I needed to keep shopping and acquiring more stuff. So now it was completely validated because it was not my stuff. It was my stuff that was stock that I would sell. And the stock added to my stuff and there was more clutter. We had gone from a really generously sized three-bedroom home with a massive eight-car garage to a tiny two-bedroom holiday rental with a single-car garage. I'd been thrown into survival mode in that relationship and I learned the art of just scraping by. I did a great job, absolutely brilliant job of just scraping by. And I did a great job of managing what was really an unmanageable situation. And each time I'd move over, And each time I rather that I would move um, house over the years that that followed as the abuse escalated, I really had no choice but to pack up my stuff and move, even though there was a ton of stuff that I had to let go of. I still managed to have a lot of stuff. So um, I the first when I had to do the the major relocation where the kids and I fled and um, changed our names and it was massive, I held a garage sale. And at at this time I'd been trading, you know, and selling the secondhand bits and bobs for quite some time. So I had accumulated a lot of stuff and I had accumulated so much stuff that at that time it was actually a good thing. It was because I opened up my home for three weeks and garage sailed or yard sailed and sold so much stuff that I managed to raise enough, almost enough money to cover the costs of moving that I needed to make that move, which is a substantial amount of money that I needed when I needed to get together enough for the first month's rent, for the bond, for the removalists. Um, There was a little bit of a shortfall, but I almost managed to get there because I had so much stuff that I could sell. So at that point, it was it was a bit of a saving grace for me because otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have had the resources. I had no access to credit at that time. Um, My credit rating had obviously been shot because of the experience of losing our home with not paying the, um, being able to pay the mortgage. So that ruined my credit rating for seven years. So no access to a line of credit, no access to loans. And I needed to learn to survive on a very, very basic amount of income. So, which I did, I got through all of that time and I learned some amazing skills from doing that. But, um, that stuff that I had was still a weight and um, I, and I, that hobby, it, it was a hobby in the, in the end. I did It did give me that little bit of extra money that I needed at the time to um, keep scraping by with the kids, but it wasn't enough to turn it into a business. I couldn't get it to that level that it would turn into a business and what it ended up doing at the end of the day was actually burdening me with a whole lot of stuff that I was surrounded by because it's it was much easier to acquire than it was to sell things. Things needed time to sell. They needed the right person to come along who would want that thing. I had a very good eye for what would sell, but it still took time for the right person to connect with the item. So 
I needed to get to that point where I was ready to let go of that desire to turn that hobby into a business to understand that it was better for me to free myself from that so that I could put a stop to that cycle of acquiring stuff so that I could concentrate on letting go of the surplus of stuff that I had that was actually becoming a weight that I was carrying around with me that was slowing me down in my life and was holding me back in my life too. And that all came at a point where I had reached a certain level of security. Until I had reached a certain level of security in my life again, I couldn't let go of that stuff because that stuff actually resembled security to me at that time. So that's why I say I am in the process of reforming because it's not something that just happened overnight. It is part of my healing journey and the more self-assured I become, the more comfortable I become in my own skin again, the more I love myself, the more compassionate I am towards myself, the more whole I feel in my life, the easier it is for me to let go of the surplus stuff that I accumulated that represented the security that I was longing to have in my life. So that's why I say I'm a work in progress and there are steps along the way that I still need to take. There is still more that I can let go of and um, and it will happen over time and the more security I'm feeling in my life, the more willing and able and ready and energised I will be to let go of of anything that is holding me back or slowing me down. And I'll just share with you, there was actually a time where the universe stepped in and gave me the cull that I needed to have but couldn't manage to do on my own. And that was um, that happened with my now husband, I've uh, remarried and I'm in a, a great relationship with a really lovely man. And he's very, we're very DIY people and we've done lots of things ourselves. It's very handy. Uh, this particular day he was working on, uh, we've got a shipping container and that shipping container that sort of housed a lot of this stock that I was talking about that I had acquired for um, for the business venture that I had with trying to build a business out of selling secondhand things. But the other purpose for this shipping container is that when my husband and I married, um, we merged into his home. So we had two households that were merging into one. And of course, there is going to be overflow, especially when, you know, the house that I came from, three-bedroom house, had all everything that you'd need for, um, you know, for the three children that I had with me at that time um, with two living rooms and plus a garage full of stock and some of the stuff that was um you know, overflow that needed to be sorted through. So that overflow ended up in this shipping container. And one day my husband was repairing, he was doing a little bit of work on the shipping container and there, there was a small hole in the shipping container and he was doing some soldering and the sparks uh, flickered through that little hole and managed to catch onto something flammable and the whole thing went up in flames. So before, you know, he was able to do anything to try and get that under control, the irony is that my husband used to be a firefighter 
So, um, but the whole thing just went up in flames and there was nothing that he could do to contain the fire. Um, And so there was a a huge salvage, you know, operation that went on after um, that fire. And the only thing that I cared about finding or having intact and keeping were photos of my children. It didn't matter. Everything else, everything else that I had felt was important and worth keeping and having the time to go and sort through, all of that at the end of the day when um, when this incident intervened and, and caused me to lose all of that stuff, I didn't mind. I didn't mind my, you know, my husband was so apologetic and he he was he thought that um that it might end our relationship, you know, that that's how worried he was about how I would be impacted by this. And but at the end of the day, the only thing I cared about was trying to salvage photos of my children. That was the only thing that really mattered to me. It, losing everything else didn't matter. And it was a wake-up call to me that day about what truly matters at the end of the day. And I really paid attention to that feeling that of not minding about the loss of the things that I had felt that had so much value that I wasn't able to let go of them. It, it was a real wake-up call that those things that I thought were really important and I really needed to hold on to, I didn't actually need to hold on to them. So sometimes I think this plays a really, really big part in it is that we all have 24 hours in our day. There's no changing that. And the more clutter you have around you, the more time consuming it becomes to actually deal with that clutter. So this is another big thing that actually stops people from getting on top of the clutter because it gets to a stage where it becomes too time consuming, too depleting to tackle and so it's easier to leave it than it is to try and address it. So my days are full and they're really full and they're full of what I see as being really productive activities. And these are, you know, I'm very, very conscious of the choices that I make with how I spend my time in my day so that the things that I'm doing, they're they're nourishing in some way to me. So like what I'm doing now, spending this time creating this episode, for me that's got so much purpose and I'm so passionate about this podcast and about creating resources for women to help them with challenges that they go through because of domestic abuse. And this topic of hoarding is a common problem for women. And it's great to have an understanding of where that comes from, like where these patterns of behaviour begin, what causes you to start holding on to stuff even when you don't really need it but you can't find it really impossible to let go of and then suddenly you find you're completely overwhelmed by it it's such an overwhelming problem that you can't address it because it's just too big so what do you do what do you do when it becomes such a weight that you can't address it on your own. Who do you turn to? So to begin with, it's really good to get some support, to get some help. So, and 
you might be thinking, well, I can't afford to get anybody to come and help me with this problem. So the place that I would like you to think about starting with what to do to get some help with this is to actually just talk to a counsellor because you need to start feeling stronger in your mind because a big part of this issue with hoarding is about the emotional things that are going on inside of you, the insecurities that you're feeling and um, that, you know, mental state that of where you're at. So um, just, you know, it becomes such a all-encompassing problem that it can leave you feeling depressed, it can leave you feeling disillusioned, it can take you to a really negative, dark place. So a really great place to start is to get some counselling. And the other person that you could talk to if you don't have a counsellor is to talk to your doctor. And so in talking to them, they might be able to refer you on to a counsellor to get some support. And a counsellor can also help you then to connect with some services that can help you with that practical side of decluttering your space when you are feeling more ready to deal with that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say suggest you to do anything drastic, but I would suggest you not to go on alone with this issue of um, hoarding and being swamped by clutter. So, yeah, get some support. And when you're feeling stronger and more able to let go of things that have become a weight in your life, then that's a time that you can tap into some support to get some practical help with that practical side of physically decluttering your space. Um, and I encourage you to be super, super kind and super compassionate with yourself as you go through this journey. So when you lose a lot and you feel insecure from those losses, from that lack of control that you have in your life, then it's easy to fall into a cycle of trying to find something else to fill that void that you feel something to cling on to. So I just want to share with you the flip side because this comes from all of this, you know, um, destructive uh, energy that happens within an abusive relationship where a woman becomes completely disempowered and has this need, this really big need to feel secure again. And um, and if that means having stuff, if that is what it takes to start feeling secure, then that is what happens. But I want to tell you about um, somebody who is very different to that, okay, that I'm really grateful for, that I had the opportunity to come into people, into contact with people like this and really have an opportunity to get to know them. So I, for a time, for several years, um, my husband and I, we hosted backpackers in our home. And we did this for several reasons. Um, we did this because we wanted to provide a safe space for travellers to stop and stay and know that they sort of had like a family, you know, and family environment um, to live in. We also, I really wanted to give that experience to my children to let them see um, that the world is a big place and that it is possible to travel without being super wealthy that you know so so there were different reasons as to why we decided to give this a go and we didn't know that we would have so many backpackers come and stay with us over the space of probably a couple of years 
but we just started with let's give this a go. Let's try it out and see um, see if we like it for our family. So, but these backpackers, they all shared one thing in common. All their worldly possessions fitted into a backpack. So it didn't, if it didn't fit into the backpack, then they had to let go of it. And I saw them do this. I actually saw them do this where we would go to a market, they would see something that they loved and they had to make a choice with that thing. If they were going to get that thing, how much space was it going to occupy in their backpack? How much was that thing going to weigh them down? Would that mean that it would take them over the limit, the weight limit, the next time they got onto a plane to travel somewhere else? They had to think, you know, in that detail about adding one extra thing to their backpack. So, but they all had this strong sense that they had all that they needed. So that meant that these choices were never took them long to make. They were very easy choices for them to make. They might, you know, have really thought, oh, I love that so much. That's so gorgeous. But if it didn't fit the criteria, if it didn't meet all their criteria to be able to continue to carry on with their travels with it, they said, no, we're not getting it. And I saw them make these decisions over and over again. And these people, that these young people who came and stayed with us, they had next to no money and they were content with living in someone else's home and getting meals in exchange for 20 hours of help around the house. So they all felt secure without knowing exactly where the next leg of their journey would take them or where they would find work or where they would find a place to sleep. So this was a great eye-opening experience for me because I could see that these young people, that the world was their oyster, they weren't weighed down. They were unencumbered by things and able to float on the breeze and just see where the next opportunities would present themselves. And they weren't weighed down with the responsibilities that come with maintaining a home year in and year out. And this gave them the energy to be ready, willing and able to explore new opportunities there were never any roadblocks for them. They, they just trusted that they would figure it out. They felt completely secure with this. So I'm really glad that I had that opportunity to see the world through their eyes. It really helped me to see how liberating it can be to let go of stuff and travel lightly through life. And I'm not saying that I am there, okay, because guess what? I still have, like having a home base. I've still got my children living with me. So, you know, my husband, he still he sometimes says, um, you know, let's uh, when the kids all leave, let's get a tiny house. And um, that's not super appealing to me because I... I still like having a, a bigger home. So who knows, maybe in time I will be ready, willing and able to let go of stuff to the extent where I say, that's it, let's go live in that tiny home. And um, who knows, anything's possible. But I am ready, willing and able to let go of stuff that I don't need and I appreciate what that represents for me. I really appreciate what that represents for me. It reflects the level of stability and security that I have back in my life again. It's evidence that I have learned to love and accept myself and I've let go of that burden of expectation of being a picture-perfect person or having a picture-perfect life. And just remember, if you relate to keeping to 
keeping clutter in your life is that weighing you down you know start with chatting to a counsellor how's that my alarm's going off telling me it's time to wind up and I'm sure it is so but please just start with chatting to a counsellor or a doctor to get some support to get stronger to take that next step of starting to let go of stuff that you thought you need but you don't and enabling you to start letting go of stuff that is otherwise weighing you down and holding you back. So be super kind to yourself. Know that um, just you've just heard my story. You've heard about so many of my insecurities and where all of those insecurities led me and how this manifested into this cycle of holding on to stuff. So I hope that that helps you and maybe you find that relatable to you and what might be triggering you to feel a need to hold on to stuff that is weighing you down. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, sending you lots of love and light and blessings. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, but when I turned a corner in my life, the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow hosted by me sandy j this program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset spells out how to spot the red flags advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough teaches empowerment strategies acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to make these challenges head on to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side who share their stories and insights as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. 
I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe, Sandy.